Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome in. It's the Sox on Tap postgame show. Johnny Nani here alongside NWI Steve discussing a disappointing 2-1 defeat at the hands of the Toronto Blue Jays tonight. Steve, first reaction from this game. Hit me with it. Uh, what can you even say? I mean, this team is just, they're fucking lifeless right now. <laughs> yeah, that lifeless uh, is an excellent word to describe that. Um, unfortunately, Tim Anderson out once again. I think that plays a major factor. Uh, him being in the lineup definitely adds just some more juice, uh, some more swagger to the team. Uh, and then obviously production-wise, we saw him take over a game pretty much on Friday night. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that and all of these specifics from this game, listeners. But before we do, make sure you are visiting on tapsportsnet.com for all Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Give us a follow on social media at Sox on Tap and at On Tap Sportsnet. Uh, if you're looking for White Sox merchandise, Grandstand is the place to go. Visit them right by the ballpark, 35th and Walls. Shop online, GrandstandSox.com, and follow all their new releases on social media at Grandstand Sox. So, Steve, coming to this one, starting a fresh new series here. I think you can uh, kind of uh, wipe out some of the bad from the past two games uh, that finished out the uh, series down in Tampa Bay. Looked like that might be able to be the case uh, until the White Sox shot their shot themselves in the foot uh, late down the stretch of this one. Yeah, you know, part of the other frustrating thing was they had a couple of opportunities in the middle part of this game, second time through the order, to get some runs on Manoa and to kind of break that scoreless drought that they were going through that extended all the way up to 15 innings there until Andrew Baum was able to get the RBI single. Um, it, it unfortunately was just a little bit of a carryover effect from some of the stuff we saw at the tail end of that Tampa series, just giving away at bats quickly and not really putting up much of a fight offensively. Uh, just really frustrating. And then, um, you know, to like, like you said, they're giving this thing away late in the game. Um, it, it just, it's, it sucks. I, I don't really know what else to say about this. Yeah. It, no, it sucks. It, it's uh, disappointing. It's uh, deflating all that, uh, all those uh, synonyms uh, all work uh, when you're describing this game. Um, you know, overall we talk about uh, missing opportunities there. Uh, we, we sure we'll go and we will discuss uh, the, the, we have a comment here, you know, pitching to Vladdy three. Oh yes. That will absolutely be a topic uh, that, that we're going to discuss here. But overall, when you're looking at um, anemic offense as of late, obviously no runs on Sunday. Uh, they did put up four in the Saturday game, but, it was kind of too little too late there tonight. Well, one for six runners in scoring position, eight left on base. That's not going to get the job done, Steve. Not great, Bob, as, as they like to say, um, you know, at some point here, if Timmy's not going to be in the lineup for, for another couple of days, somebody has got to step up and, and take the bull by the horns or, and get a big hit when, when they needed Andrew Vaughn was able to, um, in order to get the socks on, on the board there. But some of the other big boys got to start stepping this thing up here. Um, Eloy, you know, he's kind of, 
you know, he's got that nice little 11, 12 game hitting streak right now, but it's been a lot of singles. The, the extra base production has kind of waned a little bit here in the last week or so. Um, you know, Jose Abreu again, hitting into another double play here today. We need the big guys here to start uh, providing some force within the middle part of this lineup here to get things going, especially if Timmy's not going to be there. Yeah. And I can't talk too much smack about Andrew Vaughn, obviously, because he did uh, drive in the only white Sox run tonight, but also, uh, positions earlier in the game where he's you know he's got a couple guys on base and he's hitting a pop-up in the infield and that's yeah you, you want to see more uh, at least give it a charge for us uh, as a guy that's in the like the meat of the order there so um we'll get into a little bit more of that I'll, let's start on the top with the pitching it was lance lynn on the mound today when you look at the numbers overall day uh gives you a chance to win he absolutely did seven innings uh four hits one run no walks uh four k's that's solid line uh to have out there um but Unfortunately, in the bottom of the six, one crucial mistake was pitching to Vlad Jr. in a situation with a man on second. Two outs, 3-0 count, leaves it middle over the plate. And what does Vlad do? Deposit it into center field for uh, an RBI single. That would get the Jays on the board and uh, tie this game up just after the White Sox had taken the lead in the top half of that inning, Steve. We know Lance Lynn is a guy that only knows one speed. He's going to go after guys regardless of the count, regardless of the situation. That's just who he is. He's constantly in attack mode. Um, that's important. That's a situation where where Tony the Russo really has to kind of step in and say, okay, we got to a 3-0 count. Just point the finger, get Vlad to first base. And he kind of saw it after he got the base hit when they panned and showed his reaction in the dugout. He's like, what, what are we doing here? And then he, we saw him talking to Sebi in between innings. Um, I just feel like that's a spot where, you know, as a manager, and he knows Lance Lynn from having managed him for a long time with the St. Louis Cardinals. And then obviously here this year, he knows he's a guy that he's going to want to challenge Guerrero in that spot. But you have to kind of be the guy in that situation there to overrule him and say, look, we're not going to take a chance here in this situation here. This is their best hitter. This is a guy that would be the MVP if Shohei Otani didn't exist this year. Um, we got to just go ahead and put him on base. Right, and another factor going into that, Steve, that I look at is Teoscar Hernandez. Sure, he has done damage earlier in the season, and he definitely is a little bit of a breakout, maybe an under-the-radar name that does have some power, but has been cold as of late, what they'd say when he came up for his last at-bat. They had been 0 for 14 uh, over his last stretch, and that obviously included a few at-bats tonight. So a guy that you had been able to get out versus an MVP candidate there, um, I would rather go take my chances with Hernandez. So I agree with you. Uh, summed up well there. Um, you know, I, I talked about – I wish we could talk more about White Sox offense here, but other than saying that they got to drive guys in, they need to get it done with runners in scoring position, stop leaving guys on base. That's about all we can preach here because the only time uh, if we're backtracking a little bit was the top of the six. Moncada got started with the single. Goodwin singled then to put Moncada on third, and Vaughn came through a little bit of a weak uh, squeaker that gets through the middle of the uh, infield, but did get the job done. Eventually uh, put the White Sox up there 1-0. Uh, obviously that would be brief uh, because of what we just talked about in the bottom of the sixth there. Um, all right, let's talk bottom of the eighth then because this is where uh, losing control, the episode title, uh, comes into play. Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell on the mound uh, after you know being pulled in, you know, uh, Tony Lewis admitting that that was a mistake on Friday night to pull him from that Tampa Bay game. Uh, he comes in and man uh, command is you know i know he's got some wicked shit that goes into the dirt a lot of the times uh but sebi could not handle it tonight what was going on here 
your guess is as good as mine. And I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this as much as I have in the last, you know, maybe four to five games here. Sebi's really having some issues blocking breaking balls in the dirt. And for as much talk as there has been about his prowess defensively, he's letting some balls get, get through the wickets there and get by him that, you know, it kind of feels like maybe he shouldn't be. Um, and obviously, you know, with, with Kimbrell, that's a guy that got a very hard slider to begin with. So you have to be prepared for that. Um, you know, obviously the, the wild pitch that, that let the, the game winning run score, Kimbrell just simply yanked that too far. I mean, you yep. can't really put that on, on Sebi in that circumstance. But the thing that I kind of keep going back to is the Bichette at that. We had two consecutive pitches there of, you know, breaking ball down in the dirt, getting by Zavala and then, I don't know what the hell he's doing in, in that spot, throwing the ball to first base there. How did, I mean, what is Jerry Naren doing? And what, what are these guys doing here that he's not aware of the situation on this? And and to see it happen, you know, multiple times there is like, what what's going on here? Yeah, it looks like the heads are up their asses a little bit, um, just w- with some uh, kind of lackluster efforts over the past few days. And then uh, for that instance specifically, I agree, um, you know, that base is occupied. It doesn't matter if the guy's going or not uh, when it's less than two outs. Or, the base is occupied so that you don't even need to throw down there. I mean, obviously, that did not result in the damage. I mean, the ball getting by was going to push the runner to second base anyway. But I, I agree with you, just situational things that they need to be aware of in, um, you know, from both the uh, on-field pl- uh, players and then from the uh, coaching staff as well. Um, they, they need to be in their ears and letting them know that hopefully there was a discussion had after that. So uh, you talked about that Bichette at bat and obviously um, they, they were the two back to back and then they ruled one was a foul ball. Uh, so it came back and then basically the same thing happened uh, right after that on the next pitch. Um on that one, when you look at the replay from behind, this is one where you talk about, sure, we'll get to the wild pitch in a little bit that was completely yanked. Nobody would have had a chance in hell at blocking that. But this one seems to go right through Sebi Zavala's legs. Uh, and it sucks because we've praised Sebi Zavala's defense. Uh, and that's not to detract from the overall uh, play. I think you still, at the end of the day, would take Sebi Zavala uh, over Zach Collins defensively behind the plate. But at the same time, when it goes right through your legs, it's like, man, if you know it's coming and you're the one that called it, you got to get down and block it, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, and again, I think that also comes from, you know, you have to know and you have to understand the pitchers that you have in, in your bullpen there. And you have to understand Kimbrell and what his repertoire is. And, and you have to be fully prepared for that breaking ball in the dirt in that situation there. And it just seems like for whatever the reason he hasn't been the last, you know, four, like I said, four or five days here, it just seems like Sebi, uh, for whatever the reason, is letting a lot of balls get through him that he maybe otherwise wouldn't. Um, so I don't know if it's just a, a mental lapses going on right now or, or just part of just the general malaise that this team seems to be going through here at the moment. Um, you know, our buddy Southside Ron, you know, ra- raises an interesting question here about hitting, hitting the dog days of summer. And you, you could almost make that case there, but you know, at the same time, this team really, from the moment they came out of the break, um, they, they didn't really seem to have that same level of intensity um, that we saw kind of going into the break there a little bit. And they, they've really just been kind of treading water, I, I would say. And they're, they're obviously very fortunate in the fact that Cleveland had played so poorly coming out of the break that, you know, the Sox were able to build up this big lead at this juncture. And it's, I'm almost starting to wonder, is, has complacency 
maybe set in a little bit yeah. because of the divisional lead. Yeah, and that's a worry that I have as well. Uh, I do think, you know, dog days of summer feeling, yes, that that is a definite possible. And I, I think that uh, it's just a long season in general. So some of it can be attributed to that. But overall, the focus level, I mean, it's not just a – it would be one thing. If it was like a focused, you know, span of five to eight games, and then you get your head out of your ass, and then you figure it out, and you go forward and get back to your normal ways. That'd be one thing. That would just be like an okay. You're in that kind of like little slump. It hits you there, uh, maybe fatigue, whatever it may be. Um, but w- when it goes on for this long, it starts to get concerning here. And obviously, the vision lead is still you know uh, comfortable. So th- that's not uh, we're not at the very moment worried about that like slipping away or anything like that. But y- y- we saw the last year, and-, and I know much different season um, all of this. But y- you saw how a team uh, kind of of falling off near the end can be so detrimental uh, because they obviously uh, were not playing at the same caliber, not at their highest level of play uh, when it came uh, most pivotal series of the year uh, in the playoffs there. So yeah, good question, Ron. Um, th- that kind of broke up uh, where we're talking about here in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, let's just rip the bandaid off, get right to it. Simeon ground out. That would put Valera on third. Uh, and then this is where uh, they actually made the right decision with Vlad. Uh, I'd say to intentionally walk him here, didn't even screw around throwing a pitch to him, put him on uh, and then uh, that's where the wild pitch comes in. You talk about Kimbrell just yanking that. Um, not a chance. I don't care who the hell's back there. Uh, even the tallest catcher in the game. Don't know who it is right now, but he would not have even been able to get that on a diving stop uh, unless maybe at a running start. 100%. There, there's really nothing further to add to that. Um, you know, for whatever reason, Kimbrell has he's, – he's been in a little bit of a funk himself here. You know, he when he first came over – first couple of outings he, he was throwing the ball real well and and his stuff was electric um you know last seven to ten days or so we've hit you know a blip blip in the radar um obviously you know had the, had the little incident with uh with tony on friday down in tampa but he's not been crisp yeah you know it, and 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 it kind of goes back to that that friday afternoon against the cubs when he gave up that game tying home run in in the eighth inning kind of since that moment right there He's not been the same. Yeah, I agree. And I was going to ask, do you think the not dust up or anything, but the the decision uh, on Friday night, you think that has anything uh, lingering over into today's performance? You would certainly hope not. You you would hope that Kimbrell is professional enough and been around in the game long enough that something like that wouldn't linger. Um, but at the same time, you kind of have to wonder a guy that has been used to pitching in the ninth inning throughout the entirety of his career, all of a sudden now being in a little bit of a different role. And the fact of the matter is closers kind of have a, a screw loose to begin with anyway, especially guys that have been in that role for a defined long period of time, the way Kimbrell has. I mean, he, he's been a ninth inning guy for well over a decade at this juncture here. Now, all of a sudden, you're you're kind of having to change that mindset. And we talk all the time about closers struggling to have that same intensity and that same adrenaline level if they're asked to come in and pitch in a non-safe situation. Now, all of a sudden, you're taking that completely out of the ninth inning, put him in that eighth inning spot. From a psychological standpoint, is that something that is having an impact on Kimball right now? And there's really no good way to quantify that, unfortunately. Yeah, right. I'll build on that really quick. Um, I was talking with some friends. Uh, I was out watching the game on Saturday. Uh, just a couple of fellow Sox fan friends follow the team day in, day out, like we do. Uh, and I was making the case for 
um, allowing Kimbrell to settle into the ninth. I know you signed Liam Hendricks as the big money closer and all that, but obviously, unfortunately, you didn't think that you were going to need to really add to the bullpen too much. Let's be honest, at the beginning of the year, if everything panned out uh, as it was supposed to, uh, but obviously we know that it doesn't happen over the course of a 162-game season. But either way, uh, with the new personnel that you have in here right now, I would elect uh, going with Kimbrell, and this is not a uh, slight on Liam Hendricks by any means. It's that Kimbrell is at this point in his career, it, he's going to get to the Hall of Fame, and he will be going in as a you know a closer. That, that's you know as he's coming up and doing all of his dominance, winning championships, and all of this was a more defined ninth inning role. Obviously, now bullpens over the past five to six years have been a little bit more uh, not I guess yeah sporadic in usage because you're plugging in high leverage guys when you need the biggest outs. It's not always that doesn't always mean it's the last three of the game. Uh, depends on what the situation calls for there. But I would let the guy who's been the creature of habit remain the creature of habit and leave him leaving him. Kimbrell in the ninth inning and then allowing Hendricks to be your guy who can swing a little bit. He can come in uh, in the seventh inning with, you know, one out and two guys on and record five outs for you to get to that, you know, more standard ninth inning guy. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that was just kind of my thing basing off of Hendricks. First of all, his flexibility, and we've seen him in past uh, with, with past teams being used in multi-inning situations, and we've started to see it a little bit this year. Uh, and then Kimbrell just uh, doing it for longer uh, in the more standard ninth inning role. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I don't think that that is something far-fetched at all. In fact, I think some dope um, wrote a, a piece, you know, basically outlining. All, all the points you just made there for a, a website called Untap Sportsnet, um, maybe about a couple, two, three weeks ago. So, you know, that really does make sense in a lot of ways just because of the fact that when you brought in Hendricks, one of the things that was talked about was the fact that he did have that versatility that allowed him to go and pitch in a number of different roles in high leverage situations, not just be that standards, um, you know, standalone ninth inning guy you know, coming in to get the last three outs. And so there is definitely a part of me that thinks, you know, is this something that maybe they need to take a look at and consider here a little bit? Uh, For whatever reason right now, Tony doesn't seem to be willing to deviate from the plan of utilizing Hendricks in the ninth inning. But, you know, we have seen him kind of show some flexibility at, at various points. You know, early on in the year, I was harping on him quite a bit for not allowing Hendricks to pitch multiple innings in high leverage situations. He has adapted a little bit to allowing him to do that. We've seen Hendricks get some four and five out saves here over the last couple of weeks. Maybe this is something coming down the stretch here. They start to reevaluate as a staff with Ethan Katz and maybe some of the rest of their, their data and analytics people is to say, Hey, maybe this is the route we ultimately need to go to try to optimize this thing because we all thought that this was going to kind of be super pen, um, you know, both at the start of the season. And then when you make the acquisition for Kimbrell here, and it's not really panning out that way in either circumstance. So they've got a, you know, a little less than six weeks here to kind of get things tweaked and get things figured out and understand what they need to do heading into October. Right. Yeah. All discussions that are kind of more general topic, not keying in on tonight and saying that was the reason. I know we had a couple of comments here about this not being about pitching here tonight, lack of hitting plate discipline. Uh, see that hear you. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, one of the figures that I mentioned earlier with eight left on base, uh, one for six and runners in scoring position, not getting the job done. But that discussion uh, about the back end of the bullpen there, I was just kind of going regimented versus more flexible uh, and, you know, what their best roles are suited for there at the back end. Uh, unfortunately, because 
because we didn't have too much else uh, to discuss from this game. I guess my last point is that the bats that you have coming off pinch hitting in the ninth, uh, Jake Lamb and Zach Collins there, man, uh, I can't wait till rosters expand. And first of all, one Yasmani Grandal coming back, that will be very nice uh, to have in here. But then also rosters expanding because then hopefully you can see a Gavin Sheets type to come up in this situation here at the end. You don't want to see your mean Mercedes come back up in this situation? No, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. But... <laughs> no, I don't. You know, to answer your question, no. <laughs> um, look, yeah, to, to your point, um, being in a, a one-run game in the ninth inning and then Zach Collins being your pinch-hitting option is not ideal, as they like to say in the old country. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you there. Um, and obviously, we've seen every once in a while Jake Lamb able to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But um, as it stands right now, I think, uh, you know, Gavin Sheets uh, has shown that propensity even more so. Um, so it will be nice when rosters expand uh, and there are a few more spaces to play around with. And then maybe you've seen enough of one of these guys, depending on what, you know, obviously options there with. Uh, we'll see how Billy Hamilton comes back. He's on a rehab stint right now. Uh, if you've seen enough of Jake Lamb, that might be a situation where it's, you know, uh, we'd rather have Sheets there instead. But. Uh, still a couple more you know, days uh, here to figure this thing out um, when you're evaluating. Maybe it's a little tryout for these uh, last few. I know we touched on this briefly earlier, but since, like I mentioned, not a whole, whole lot uh, outside of the scoring plays and the wild pitches here uh, to discuss uh, is like, so when can we worry about the lead? A uh, question from David on YouTube. Um, I know it's nine games. I think it's okay to worry about the slide. Um, I'm not yet because Cleveland hasn't shown uh, anything there. Uh, to you know, uh, warrant the threat there. I know there is that five-game series there uh, in Cleveland in mid-September, thanks to uh, some rainouts uh, that plates it there. But uh, I am not worrying about it right now because uh, guess what? You go and turn around, win two of these games, and then take two or three from the Cubs over the weekend. Uh, you're getting that back up to round double digits, most likely, with the way that Cleveland's been trending. That'd be my answer to that. I'm not worried. Next yeah. question. Yep. No. All right. Uh, let's move on. Let's, let's move on to tomorrow's game, Steve. Uh, I'm there. So uh, it will be uh, Dylan Cease on the mound for the White Sox and a former twin uh, went to the Jays deadline, Jose Barrios, going for the Jays. What do you got uh, for this matchup here? Well, the Sox know Jose Barrios very well, like you mentioned, from uh, that time he spent, obviously, with the Minnesota Twins here. Um He's going to come at them with, with a lot of sliders. And, you know, we saw they had some issues here with Manoa laying off that slider today. And so I'm sure that's probably going to be part of the scouting report is to utilize that pretty frequently here. Dylan Cease, as always, it's all going to be about establishing fastball command. Um, you can't and, – and this Blue Jays team, they, they really harped on it. Um, the fact that this is a team that swings very early in counts, and they swing at a lot of first pitches. So, you know, Dylan has to really go out there, I think, especially with Bo Bichette leading off this game. Can't groove that first fastball right down the cock there because otherwise you know Bichette is going to be looking to unload on one. And same thing with Vladito uh, when, when he comes up there. So he, he's got to be pretty fine with his location there. Stay out of the heart of the plate. And mix in that hammer that we all know he's got. And, uh, you know, he'll do his best to obviously put this team in a position to win a baseball game again here. And then hopefully the Sox could find some way to scratch and claw against Barrios. Yeah, uh, they're going to need to, um, obviously. Uh, we, we talked, you know, mostly because that's where the kind of pivotal plays came in tonight uh, with, with pitching. And the White Sox kind of uh, uh, pissed down their legs a little bit here tonight. But uh, it does not. Uh, let's 
just say you can only say it so many times. Uh, you just need the offense to get going here. Uh, you know, one run ain't going to get it done uh, in most almost any ball game uh, that you're playing here. So White Sox need to give them some support. And then also, um, I would like to see, like you had mentioned, uh, about being careful uh, with, with some of those there, especially guys that are hunting first pitch there. Uh, we didn't see any home runs, uh, you know, anything leave the yard tonight. But Dylan Cease did give up two home runs in his last outing uh, against the A's. I know hot day on the south side, uh, but guess what? Ball can also fly at Toronto, and they have a lineup that can put the ball out of the ballpark. So, um, you know, it's an easy way to get down, uh, even if it's only one pet pitch uh, to a guy. And you just hang it, groove it, and he puts it over the fence. Uh, That could be insurmountable for the White Sox. So uh, I'm looking for him to limit home runs tomorrow. That'll be mine. So what do you got? Pick the click here. Who's getting it done? uh, If anyone (laughs) helping us get get the offense rolling on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, Let me see. Let me pull out of the hat here. uh, Who we got? Um, I'll I'll go with I'll go with MVP too. I guess. I, I don't know at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's tough. It, it really is tough. Um, you know, for this one, I'm going to go with uh, Eloy Jimenez, uh, 381 uh, in 81, or excuse me, 21 at bats versus burritos uh, in his career. So uh, that's a pretty good figure there. Obviously, seeing him a decent amount during his time uh, with the Twins there. So um, I'll go with Eloy. Uh, well, last question here that just came in from Scott uh, on Periscope. What do you think about moving Eloy? Uh, for to third and Jose to fourth here. Steve, any thoughts on this? I kind of like the the setup right now with Abreu in the, in the number three spot and Eloy in, in the number four. Um, it it kind of seems to me like that's what Tony wants to do. It, you know, I know there was you know a little bit of time. Um, I feel like very early on in the season when he had Abreu in the number four spot, but it just seems like Abreu has been more comfortable in the number three hole. Um, going back to even the times when uh, Ricky Renteria was manager, and it seems it just feels like at this juncture here that Tony's not really going to deviate from that. I would agree. Um, I just don't think it's uh, going to happen. And also, uh, like you'd mentioned, kind of a comfortability factor, uh, kind of like a staple. If there's one guy that you can pretty much pencil in every day, it it is Pito in in the three spot. So uh, last question there, just wanted to feel that. Thank you, everybody, for uh, dropping in here with these uh, comments, questions. Uh, We enjoy uh, reading these off and uh, having a little discussion about it. So uh, thank you to everyone here uh, tuning in on the live stream. You can also catch it uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. It will be uploaded shortly uh, after we end this live stream. Visit ontapsportsnet.com for all Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. You can also find these podcasts right there uh, on the top tab that says podcasts. Give us a follow on social media at Socks on Tap and at OnTap Sportsnet. And go shop at Grandstand for all your White Sox merchandising needs. They're located right by the ballpark, 35th and Wallace. Also shop online, GrandstandSocks.com. And Grandstand Socks on social media has all of their newest and latest best releases. So, Steve, get out of the funk tomorrow actually get some runs on the board because I think we're going to need it uh, with Dylan Cease on the mound. Not saying he's going to have a bad outing, but propensity, long ball, makes me a little worried. Going to need more from the bats. That's my final thought here. Get some goddamn runs. I'm I'm tired of these no runs, one run situations here. Let's put up some fucking crooked numbers for God's sake. Yeah, one thing that uh, I think we need to do as the week rolls on here, kind of disappointing and I'm a little bitter tonight uh, just with how the game ended, Uh, but we are playing uh, up in Canada for the first time since 2019 here, so I'd be remiss if I didn't drop a Trailer Park Boys letter Kenny reference. Uh, White Sox bats, figure it out. Just figure it out. All right? That's all I got. That's that's the perfect way to close this thing down. All right. Either way, uh, we'll be back at it tomorrow. Uh, Dave, you know, this one stinks. But 
life rolls on, baseball season rolls on. And guess what? We're talking about win tomorrow. I'm sure spirits will be much higher. So that said, White Sox forever. White Sox for life.